Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. A little over a year ago, I announced my plans to retire from active ministry. I shared that news as early as I did in the hopes that the transition time between my departure and the new pastor's arrival would be as brief as possible. In the Presbyterian world, there are really three steps that typically happen after a pastor retires. There's a mission study in which the congregation reflects on who they are and what they envision for their future. There's the election of a pastor nominating committee to seek the next person whom God is calling to serve in this place. And then there's the hiring of the transitional pastor who will offer his leadership and preaching and presence during the interim time. Due to the faithful and diligent work of your session, all three of those tasks have been completed, and I am thrilled with where we are as a congregation on this day. While all that was unfolding, I was also moving in to the last events of my pastoral career. It included the, the final launching of a program year, the last times of preaching on Christmas Eve uh, and Easter, the final occasions of leading a stepping stones or officer training classes, and perhaps most Presbyterian of all, my last meetings. <laughs> Congregational, session, and staff. This service of worship will include the final time that I officiate at the Sacrament of the Lord's Supper and I am guessing that the funeral that I will oversee tomorrow will be the last one of those as well. While I've been moving through those events, I have been intentional about trying to focus on the event on its own merits and not to keep reminding myself it would be the last time that I would do that as an installed pastor. And yet, when it came to my penultimate and final sermon, I've been writing these in my mind for months. Next Sunday, I am going to focus on the full arc of my time of service as a minister of word and sacrament. And today, I want to focus exclusively on our 20 years together. And to do that, it seemed only appropriate that I go back and take you with me to my first Sunday here. It happened on Mother's Day in 2003. After preaching at both services that day, Lori and I left the sanctuary for the congregational meeting that followed. As part of that, the members voted unanimously to extend a call to me to become the 15th pastor 
of the Dorrellstown Presbyterian Church. We came back in the sanctuary afterwards to your applause, and I returned to the pulpit and offered a few introductory comments. I shared how I was a lifelong Christian, that there isn't a moment in my life that I can remember before which I knew of God. I told of how I'd always been a Presbyterian and how, as honored as I was to receive this call from you, that my first priority would always be the three members who shared a home with me. And it was only then that I turned and said something about my sports loyalties. <laughs> I first said something about the college teams that I pull for, and, and you seem to accept that without any kind of reaction. <laughs> but then I said, when it comes to professional sports, I tend to be a baseball fan, tend to be a national leaguer, and no tendency of, uh, at all, I'm a lifelong fan of the Atlanta Braves. With that word, <laughs> with that word, this congregation that had just extended a call to me, <laughs> they booed me. Now, now, Pauline, as a Philadelphia native, probably thinks that's appropriate, but, 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 but for me, it was a surprise. And I think in the moment, I said something like, well, you notice I brought that up after the vote. And yet, internally, I was thinking, this is going to be a different kind of place to serve. And it has been in every way imaginable. As I was thinking about this morning, as Lou picked up on without our conversation, I certainly felt led to the passage that we heard from the letter to the Philippians. Like most of the New Testament epistles, this one was intended to be read in the context of worship. It was written by one who had helped establish that church but now was in prison, and so it was a kind of farewell message to them. If you read the entirety of that letter, you will see that in a way that isn't always true in Paul's letters, he held great affection and love for that body of faith. All of those pieces made it seem a particularly fitting text for me to use on this day. But part of what we heard Paul say was this. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy, in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. Since Paul knows that in all likelihood he will not be with them together again, he then concludes, this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. As I drew from Paul's words in shaping this sermon, I decided I was to do two things that hasn't really been my pattern with you. First, I want to share with you the theme at the outset of what this homily will be all about, and namely it is, keep being DPC at its best. And 
Secondly, I want to return to a pattern that was sort of the norm for me right when I got out of seminary, but I don't think I've used much since. Namely, that there are three points that I want to share today. The first of which is, keep being a body of faith that is concerned about those outside your walls. When I first got here, I had many people refer to DPC as the country club church. Now, I have no difficulty imagining that among our parishioners are those who are members of other private clubs in the community, but the connotation of what they were saying was that this congregation really wasn't concerned about those outside its walls. That wasn't true. As part of this church's history, for instance, it was integral in forming the nearest affiliate of Habitat for Humanity. And yet I heard that refrain often enough. It said to me that somehow the message of what this congregation was doing had not spread beyond these walls. On this day, I don't think that can still be said. For during our years together, in several capital campaigns, we set aside at least 10% of everything that was contributed to focus on needs outside this community of faith. Among the results of those gifts were such things as the complete renovation of the kitchen at Broad Street Ministry in Center City and the funding of three scholarships for 10 years for children at Hunting Park Christian Academy in Philadelphia. As part of your gifts, we provided a water system for a community in Kenya and taught people in Nicaragua how to develop self-sufficiency in their supply of food. Through your gifts over the years, we have responded to natural disasters along the Gulf Coast and in New England, North Carolina, and Virginia. And we have welcomed refugees here from Myanmar and Eritrea. This congregation was one of the founding members of the Code Blue program, providing shelter for our homeless neighbors during the winter and we host the community meal, as we will again this day, to gather together both our homeless neighbors with our congregation to break bread. I can't possibly count how many members of our congregation have served on the board of the local YMCA or Natives for, Americans for Native Americans or the Heritage Conservancy, or any of a number of other agencies engaged in this community. But I can tell you, because I've counted, how many dollars you gave to support human need outside our walls. I have not run this by our treasurer or our financial gifted staff person. This is my own count. For over 20 years, of funding the operating budget and a $9 million renovation project 
that transformed our campus, at the same time, our members gave $5.6 million. to help outside our walls. And to that, I say, keep being DPC at its best. My second point is I want to encourage you continue to be a safe place where we can discuss the hardest issues before us as a congregation, and as a nation. In our years together, we have sought to create a place where it is safe to speak with both candor and respect even when we disagree. And we have shaped that in a way to help all of us understand that our unique backgrounds that we bring do not reflect the totality of what everyone in our country has faced. And that the conclusion that we have drawn is not the only conclusion that a faithful Christian can develop. Over the years, we have talked about some of those hard things in our world. Gun violence and abortion systemic racism, and protecting our children, same-gender marriage, and the care of our planets. It has not always been easy. We live in the world from which we come. We're on the threshold of yet another presidential election. And it will be tough. But yet again, this community of faith can be one that demonstrates that our first priority is not the talking points of our favorite candidate or political party or news source, but it is always to be reflecting as best we can the love and compassion and justice of Jesus Christ. That is rarely an easy thing to do. And yet it is a gift that our congregation has to extend to the community beyond our walls, and they need it. One of my favorite glimpses of that characteristic of DPC came early on in my ministry here at the conclusion of a class I had led on the topic that was before our denomination then. Looking back, almost two-thirds of my career has been focused on the issue of was ordination and installation as a pastor, elder, or deacon limited only to heterosexuals? In DPC's past, there have been gay officers who've served us faithfully and well. Starting in the 1980s, there was a movement across our denomination to have one standard for the whole church. And so a succession of amendments began to be proposed to the Book of Order 
And with, of course, a line being drawn, created all kinds of unrest and debate. So, in the fall of 2005, I led a class here on that whole topic. The response was su sufficient that we gathered in the sanctuary. And I provided both biblical and theological background. I talked about the church's own history with that question, the current standard, and what was being proposed. And as you can expect, there was open and free and diverse congregation, a conversation. Our congregation, once again, revealed that we're not of one mind. We have 1,200 members. We probably have 1,500 dependents. Because there are times when we don't even agree with ourselves. And that was clear in that conversation, too. And it was at the end of those three weeks that I was standing right here in front of the communion table, and I was talking with two of our longtime members, Hanson Long and Dottie Taylor. And of course, the topic before us in the class was the one that they were discussing. And Hanson said, I don't get what the big deal is. I wouldn't care if I had a gay pastor. And Dottie looked at him and said, I couldn't disagree with you any more than I do, but I love you and I'm glad we're in this church together. That, that is DPC. And what I want to say to you is, again, keep being DPC at its best. Lastly, I want to encourage you to keep supporting and loving your pastors. In July, I led a three-week class on Wednesday nights where I spoke about just some of the ways that you over the years have encouraged and support, challenged and corrected me and the blessing that was. With rare exception, I did not ever feel the expectation that I would be just like my predecessor and instead was honored as a unique person whom the congregation had called. And what I would encourage you to do is to keep living in that kind of spirit as you move ahead toward the next pastor's arrival. And to make that point, I, I want to remind you of what you promised me on the day of my installation. For on that September afternoon, there was a number of questions that are found in the Book of Order that were posed to you by Holly Mullen, our clerk of session. First question asked if you had accepted me or were accepting me as your new pastor. And then the other questions focused on what you would then do in the years that followed. Here's what you were asked. Do we agree to pray for him, to respect his decisions, and to follow as he guides us serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Do we promise to pay him fairly and provide for his welfare as he works among us to stand by him in trouble and share his joys? Will we listen to the word he preaches, welcome his pastoral care, and honor his authority as he seeks to honor and obey Jesus Christ as our Lord? On this day, I can say, not only did you say yes then, but you have lived that out 
in beautiful fashion, and so keep being DPC at its best. I think it was about 10 years ago that I was approached, I think it was by the History Committee, saying that it was time for me to add my photo to the, the gallery of pastors, installed pastors, and you can see that collection on the wall just outside the Celtic Crossroom. I, I was beginning to wonder if that day was going to ever come. <laughs> and, and when it did, I, I gave a lot of thought to, to what I wanted in the photo, and I reached out to George Segelkin uh, to help me with that photo. I, I chose as my background the bridge, uh, believing it would be the most sort of enduring image of this pastorate. And so George and I stood on the flat part of Andrews Hall so that you could see the bridge in the background. I also gave some thought to the clothes I was going to be wearing in that photo. And I picked on that day the same tie I'm wearing this morning. And if you look closely, either at the door afterwards or at the photo downstairs, you will notice that the tie reflects uh, my baseball loyalties. <laughs> and I thought it only fitting, kind of as a bookend to our first Sunday here, uh, that for time immemorial, there will be this reminder that for 20 years, in this more than two centuries of faithful existence, you were served by an unrepentant <laughs> Braves fan. Actually, our presence here will stretch even beyond that. As a few years back, Lori and I decided we were going to buy a plot at Doylestown Cemetery. We didn't know then when we were going to retire, but we knew that this was going to be our final resting place. And so, as we looked at some of the options that day, we picked one that's in the older section of the cemetery. It has a really nice view of the steeple, too. And as we were leaving that day, having completed the purchase, Lori said to me, well, you always wanted to own property in the borough. <laughs> it was years ago that the Apostle Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And on this day, I take those words as my own. For clearly, it has been a very different place for this relocated North Carolinian to serve. And yet, because of God's call, and your response, it has been just the place we were meant to be. Let us pray. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guard while life shall last and our eternal home. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.